Good evening. Everybody had a busy day, I guess. Yeah, it's the way it is. Isn't this weather something? On a scale of 1 to 10, I believe this one's a 10 right now. Maybe not earlier today, but this is nice. I wish we could move out there in the breeze and have Bible study tonight. It would be nice. Let's give thanks, shall we, together. Lord, we're grateful, thankful, appreciative for all you have done for us, for the blessings that you provided for us. We acknowledge, Lord, we understand tonight that everything we have, everything we enjoy, it's all come from you, and tonight we're thankful. We're so grateful for your goodness and your mercy, your grace, Lord, the fact that you have made yourself known unto us, that you've placed in our hearts a desire to be in a place like this where we can study the word of the Lord during the middle of the week. Lord, for all you do for us and for all you are, we say thank you. Tonight, Lord, if you would, open our eyes, maybe help us to see something we've never seen before about one of the most important times in history when you gave your life for us. Help us, we pray. Illumine our minds, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, or last week maybe it was, I think I told you we were going to take a couple of weeks off from our series to spend time on, on Easter and the crucifixion and the resurrection and those things. So I'm going to continue that tonight as we... Uh, <laughs> Annette was telling me that she read through the book of James today to get ready for tonight. Uh, she was, she came ready tonight. Uh, and I hate to disappoint her, but next, next Wednesday night, next Wednesday you can read it again and then you'll be ready for next Wednesday night. You'll be cooking. It's good to have Tony with us tonight. He's, we, I thought he was going to be out for weeks and here he is on Wednesday night. He's fooling us, isn't he? That's good. That's a pleasant surprise. Tonight, what I wanted to do, um, and to be honest with you, I've got a reason for holding the book of James until after Easter. Maybe you'll understand what that is uh, a week from Sunday. But um, what I'd like to do tonight is to spend some time um, in the Scripture about the Passion uh, somebody tell me again what passion means. The original, the, the the original idea of passion. What is what does it mean? Suffering. Exactly. Thank you. I know people are listening when I get feedback like that. I mentioned that Sunday. the The original meaning of the word passion meant suffering, and it kind of developed into other things. Things that we are interested in. Is it hot in here? I'm gonna I'm gonna stir just a little bit of air up. Okay. Because I, I thought it was too, and I thought, uh, maybe not hot, but stuffy. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with me to uh, Psalm 22. And um, as you turn to Psalm 22, let me flip the screen. We'll make an observation and then we'll come back. Some of you have heard, I'm sure, of the seven last sayings of Christ. 
I have those on the screen. That is the last seven statements that Jesus made on on uh, the earth before he died. Now, after he was resurrected, he came back and said some other things. We understand. But, but before the resurrection, before he died, these were the last seven things that he said before he was crucified. Number one, we'll read these again if we have time and talk about them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Number two, today you will be with me in paradise. Number three, behold your son, behold your mother. Number four, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number five, I thirst. Number six, it is finished. Number seven, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The reason I flipped this over is because the first verse we're going to read from the Old Testament is going to be um, this verse right here, or that phrase right there, My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Or why have you forsaken me? It's from Mark 15, verse 34. But we're going to read it from Psalm 22. So, as we open our Bibles there, Psalm 22 Beginning at verse 1, which simply says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It goes on to say, Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I am not silent. This, if you'll look at the title of this chapter in your Bible, um, in my Bible, which is the New King James Version, the one I'm using tonight, the, the caption, the title of this chapter is Psalm 22, The Suffering, Praise, and Posterity of the Messiah. But there are some very familiar verses that come from this Psalm 22. As we've just read one from the New Testament, when Jesus cried on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let me make some adjustments here. I'm wanting to fan and I see some fanning. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. There's a lot of scripture here that we'd like to cover tonight. So I'm not going to read the whole psalm. I'm going to skip down to verse 6 now. Where the psalmist said, but I am a worm and no man. Now that is a very um, strange statement, isn't it? But I am a worm and no man. And yet we are, we are transferring, if you will, much of Psalm 22 in the context of Jesus being crucified. And we see this, this strange phrase there, but I am a worm and no man. And it's interesting, I think, that when you, when you look at this word worm, 
It's actually the word tola, um, and it means worm. Specifically, it means a crimson worm, a red worm. It is a specific, it's a phrase that's identifying a specific worm or insect larva that is um, common in Israel, was common then and still is. And it is a, a worm that is, is crimson red. And they use this worm to, to crush it and, and take the, the blood from it the residue from a crushed worm, and use it for dye. It was a red dye. It's where they got their red dye uh, in those days until some better options came along. So as this scripture would say, but I am a Tola, in Hebrew they would have understood that. To us it makes no sense. I am a worm and no man. But when you, when you understand that the Tola was a, a red grub worm that commonly was crushed, to dye uh, white wool red, then you can maybe begin to picture what this has to do with how Jesus was cr- uh, treated during the Passion. Now, what do we know about Jesus during Passion Week that might have caused this kind of imagery? Blood, red, mess. Yeah, we many of you have seen the Passion of the Christ, the film, and um, there's a song that says, "Were you there when they crucified my Lord?" And none of us were. Um, we've seen the film that um, what was his name? Who? Mel Gibson. Thank you, Mel Gibson. We've seen the film that Mel Gibson produced, and. Um, I'm told that it's quite historically accurate in its portrayal of what happened. The scourging, um, when you take um, a whip, several strips of leather, and you tie in that, that whip pieces of bone and glass and things like that, and you take that whip and you were to lash it across and pull it across the back of someone who was being scourged or whipped, it was a, a very painful, ugly, merciless punishment. It was, it was a horrible thing to endure and a horrible thing to see. Um, that's one of the reasons that there was um, a, a mandate upon the Jews to limit that type of um, beating. In what way? 39, 39 stripes. Yeah. Um, they had to not exceed that because it was so merciless. So as this, um, as this beating, as you had the crown of thorns and the blood pouring down, you had the beard that was plucked from the cheeks. Certainly there would have been blood there. You had the spear in the side. You had the nails in the hands, the nails in the feet. And the other beatings that took place, if you were to take a bunch of those grubs and put them in a bowl and mash them up, his back and his flesh probably looked that way, covered with blood. 
and I think that gives great significance in this passage um, to this phrase, but, but I am a worm and no man. I don't even look human under those circumstances that he was under. Um, it's descriptive of a terrible, brutal um, beating that so um, affected his appearance. We'll read that also, some suggestion of the same type of thing in Isaiah 53 in a few moments. It was not a pretty sight. It was a horrible thing to see. Um, I would imagine it would be something that would be stuck in your mind from for the rest of your life, having witnessed and seen something like that. So it begins, Psalm 22 begins with this phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll turn to that in a few minutes, but somebody tell me, what was the context of that statement? Jesus made that statement hanging on the cross. What what precipitated that statement? What were the circumstances under which Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, why would why would Christ quote this scripture from Psalm twenty two one? And we know it's because there was a reason and we know he I mean I'm just trying to get us to think. Why would Jesus have said that as he was hanging on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. Do you think he felt forsaken? Yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a lot because I've read things that it does, it, we don't even comprehend how he had to push himself up just to take a breath and how excruciating it was just to move every breath he took. Right. And, you know, in most churches you don't go into all that detail. So, yeah, I would think he felt like he had been like, Okay, so we will agree he felt like he was being abandoned. Absolutely. Absolutely, and we'll come back to that later. Now, I've asked the question, did he feel like he was being forsaken? And you've answered yes. Now I'm going to rephrase this question. Don't necessarily want an answer. I'd like for you to think about it as we work our way through these scriptures tonight. He felt like he was forsaken. Was he forsaken? And we will go through and see what the scripture says about that. Okay? Um, as we read now at verse 6, I am a worm and no man. We've talked about the suffering that he had and experienced there. A reproach of men despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And they're mocking Jesus. And of course they did that, did they not, at the cross? They mocked him and made fun of him, made sport of him. The soldiers did and so forth. Um, In verse 11 The psalmist writes, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Verses 12 and 13 are interesting. 
It says, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Now, we know there were several times when Jesus encountered this opposition and this attitude that is described here. Remember when um, when Barabbas was presented as an option? Who would you like for me to deliver to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And the crowd yelled out what? Give us, give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a guilty criminal. And they were so enraged, they said, let Barabbas go free, set him free and crucify Jesus. It's a, it's a, a maddening, insane, it's, it's just, the whole scene is, is just, um, we know it was a fulfillment of scripture, but it, it just made no sense, humanly speaking, which is described here, I think, many bulls have surrounded me. They're, they're gaping at me with their mouths like lions roaring. You could picture that scene I've just described, or the one with the, the Romans as they whipped him and crucified him, so forth. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. A potsherd is a piece of broken pottery. It's not good for anything, dried out and brittle and crumbles. And my tongue clings to my jaws. I'm thirsty. And you have brought me to the dust of death. And and that's obviously how our Lord felt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then as we continue reading, he said, verse 16, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. The accuracy of this passage is amazing because the next verse says, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's exactly what they did, wasn't it? And then it says, I can count all my bones. And we're told historically after a beating like Jesus endured with all of his flesh ripped out, of his back and so forth, and the beatings he had had, you could have seen bones in places where his flesh had been torn. And so he says, also, they look and stare at me, latter part of verse 17. They divide my garments among them. They did cast lots and gamble for his cloak, and, and for my clothing they cast lots, the scripture says. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. And we continue reading uh, for the sake of time. I'm going to hasten on here. Um, Isn't it amazing that you read through Psalm 22 and there are so many plain references to the resurrection. And the very next chapter that you read is what? The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, What a a contrast. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And in some ways, is that not a kind of a, a microcosm of where we are sometimes? Sometimes it can be so bad, we think... But then after the passing of just a few moments or a few days, it can feel so good and our relationship with the Lord is up here. 
And, and that's life. Life takes us to our highs and then to the valleys, the mountains and the valleys. The mountains and the valleys are part of our walk, our spiritual walk. We never live on the mountain all the time. All of us have valleys we go through. May I suggest to you when you're going through a valley, you think you're the only one ever been through one. Think nobody's going through a valley but you, but we all go through valleys. There are high places where it seems like we're on top of the world, and then there's low places where we feel like we're the only one left that's been faithful to God, like Elijah did. But then he was reminded by the Lord, Elijah, I have 7,000 over here who have not bowed the need to Baal. You know, quit having your pity part and thinking you're the only one going through anything. There's a whole lot of folks still love me and being faithful. So those are the kinds of things we need to remember when we're getting down and we're kind of bothered because things aren't going exactly right in our lives. We're not the only ones going through that. Other people are going through that. All the time, there are other people who are hurting just as bad as you and and going through things. So don't ever let the devil whisper in your ear and make you feel sorry for yourself and feel like the world's all against you. That's all a, a trick. Uh, we all go through those kinds of times. And I think it's interesting to see that even our Lord, when he was crucified, um, exhibited, as was mentioned, those very human tendencies. Because we are human, and we are flesh, and we do suffer, and we do hurt, and sometimes we do struggle. So, let's turn, if we uh, could, now to... Um, Isaiah 52. I'd like to back up, uh, well not back up, in, uh, in 52. I'd like to begin at verse 13. In Isaiah 52 verse 13. Because that's actually where this, it's known as a suffering servant psalm. It's a song. And it begins, not in verse chapter 53, but in chapter 52, verse 13. It says, And my servant, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Now this is, a, this is um, Isaiah's vision of the Lord that is to come. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And then verse 14 says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, his appearance, was marred more than any man. Now notice that statement. His appearance, his visage was marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. So we go back to that picture we talked about earlier with the tola and the crimson worm and, and, and the way his body was just decimated. His visage was marred more than any man. And so we, we're, we're kind of getting set up to get a picture of this suffering servant. But I want you to notice we hadn't even got to 53 yet. But in the introduction to that, what leads into Isaiah 53, we've read two things that are very significant. Number one, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And also, many were astonished because his visage was marred more than any other man. There again, you see the high 
and the low all in one verse of Scripture. Right? When Jesus comes back at the second coming, King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord, and everybody's bowing down to worship Him, that's what I call being exalted and extolled very high, right? But before we get to that point, we see He also is going to go through this period of suffering. So, side by side, in one verse there, side by side, you see these two extremes and these snapshots. And Isaiah and the other prophets were not always not able to separate those and to put those in their proper order. They, they, they would, they would write these things without full understanding of the details of what they were writing. Uh, I've heard dad years ago, when he talked about prophecy and the, the prophets writing and prophesying, uh, I heard him explain it like it's like looking across a mountain range. And you can see this mountain and you can see that mountain and you can see this other mountain and another mountain. And in between all those mountains, there's several other mountains. Each of them representing a prophecy. And you can only see the high ones from this perspective. But then you move around this way a little bit and you may be able to see some other things that fit in between those high ones. And that's the way prophecy is in Scripture. You don't always see everything in one one shot, one perspective, but as you work your way through the Bible, you get different perspectives as you move around this range of mountains, and the picture becomes much clearer to us. And that's the way prophecy is. And we see great examples of that tonight as we're working our way uh, around Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and the seven last sayings of Christ. We're going several places in Scripture, and we're seeing how all this comes together, and you begin to get a very clear picture um, that this is all talking about the same thing. So in Isaiah 53, we begin with verse 1, where the Bible says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him, that is, the Messiah, shall grow up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. It goes on to say, He has no form nor comeliness, and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, it was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. This is an extremely, extremely important verse that I'm about to read. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Keep in mind that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was absolutely guiltless, sinless, innocent. There was no reason for him to be there because he had done nothing wrong. 
True? He was there only to bear our sins. All of our sins, the sins of the whole world, he took all of that guilt upon himself. Now, let me, let me ask you this question. If you go to the book of Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree of the garden that you want to eat, except one. And that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. die. Did they eat of that tree? Yes. Did they die that day? Spiritually. That's what I want. You guys are, you're ahead of me. You're doing great. You're doing great. They didn't die physically that day, did they? That was a process that began as, as the curse took its grip on mankind and on the earth. But they did die spiritually because spiritual death is being separated from God. And what was the result of Adam and Eve committing that sin? They were banished from the garden, right? And they were not allowed to come back to the tree of life. So they did begin the process of physical death, but they experienced the not the process, but the act of spiritual death immediately. Separation from God. Now, anybody who is a sinner is separated from God. That's what the Bible teaches. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. And then the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Another scripture says that when we were enemies of God, before we were saved, we were estranged. We were apart from Him. We were separated from Him. And the Bible says that we need now to be, our great need, our great need as humanity now is to be now reconciled to God, brought back to God, brought back into fellowship with God. That's our need today. And until we are brought back into fellowship with God, until we're born again, until we're saved, until that point, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. When we come to Him, we are then born again, we're given New life, we become a new creature, and at that point we become sons of God. But up until that time, we're dead in trespasses and sins. So, here's Jesus, he's hanging on the cross. Now, what did the Bible say was the penalty for sin? Death. We've already determined that it wasn't physical death, especially, but it was death of another kind, which was... A spiritual death being separated from God, right? And all of humanity is separated from God. But the Lord took, the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son, sent Jesus to die for us on the cross, which is what we're talking about. Day after tomorrow is Good Friday. That's that's the day we really focus on that and celebrate that. That's why we're doing it tonight because we won't be here Friday. It's a it's a momentous, important, unbelievably magnificent day. When he did that for us, he took all of our sin on himself. 
He took all of our sin on himself. And when he did that, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I would submit to you that God turned his back on his son at that point in time. He had to be. He had to, like us, be separated at some point. Thank you. Because of all the sin that he took on, it's like us when in our sinful nature, we were separated. So Absolutely. One brief moment, he needed to be separated because that's where all the sin went. Absolutely. So we asked a few moments ago, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did he feel forsaken? And we answered, Yes. Now we ask another question when we didn't answer, but I think we've answered it since. Was he actually being forsaken? Yes. The father turned his back on the son. He had to for him to bear that penalty. That penalty that was rightfully ours. It didn't last long. Boy, I hope you'll be here Sunday. We're going to celebrate the resurrection. And it's going to be wonderful. What Jesus did for us, you cannot calculate the worth of it. He he paid a debt. We owe a debt we could not pay. He paid the debt he did not owe. He did that for us out of love. So that we wouldn't have to be separated from God. He endured that in that Short moment of time, the Bible says in Habakkuk 1.13, that's a prophet that you might not have read much before, Habakkuk 1.13, that God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and look on iniquity. It just confirms the fact that when all the sin of the whole world was on the shoulders of Jesus, the Father turned his head and looked the other way because he couldn't watch. And Jesus bore the penalty for our sins. What a magnificent act of love that was. Now, let's continue. He was wounded for our transgressions. Why was he wounded? For our transgressions. Verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's why. He was bruised for our iniquities or our sins. That's why he was bruised. That's why he was wounded. So that we could have peace with God. That's why he was chastised on the cross. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. Amen? There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. We're all in the same boat, born into this world sinners. We have turned everyone to his own way. We're at odds with God. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I'm not going to tell you the story of Jerusalem again. You've heard it. Amazing what Jesus did for us. The latter part of verse 8 says, or the middle part of verse 8 says, He was cut off from the land of the living. What's that mean? I just want to make sure we're thinking and we're getting it. It's, it's, yeah. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. 
he was stricken. So it was, again, because of our sins that he was cut off from the land of the living. Um, verse 10, you got to remember, this was the plan of God. Verse 10 says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. In other words, all of this was the plan of God. It reminds me sometimes of the phrase we've heard people say before. Have you, maybe you never said it, but you've heard it said. Remember when your kids are... are some of you know what I'm going to say, don't you? This hurts hurts me worse than it hurts you. Right? That's what we say sometimes. It's going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. Well, you know what? I can imagine the father looking down on his son and what was transpiring there. That was the case when it hurt the father more than it hurt the child, I would imagine. What a, what a wonderful act of love. However, it was his plan. He knew it had to be done. And in verse 11, the Bible says, He shall see. We could just, just to help us to understand that the Father shall see the labor of the soul of his Son and be satisfied. In other words, his plan is coming to fruition. Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus when he saw him first time? After he was anointed, what did he say? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. The next day he saw him again. He said the same thing. John chapter 1. So he was the Lamb of God. And then Hebrews says, as we're, we've read through that recently as well, as if the Lord is saying, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. It was his will to be the Lamb of God. It was God's will for Jesus to be the Lamb of God. That's why He came to this earth. That was His sole purpose for coming, was to do what He was doing right here. So it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a plan gone awry. It was happening just like God had intended. His Son was going to die for the sins of the world. And so, by His knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities, verse 11 says. Latter part or middle of verse 12 says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. What's that mean? Yeah, he was, he was dumped in the, in the pot with all the rest of the sinners. Even though he was not a sinner, he was numbered with them. And he bore the sin of many. And he made intercession... For the transgressors. Wow. What our Lord did for us. Is is worth remembering. And thinking about. Um, I would suggest. It, it wouldn't be. A waste of time. Maybe sometime on Friday. To sit down and read Isaiah 53. And Psalm 22. And ponder. What Jesus has done for us. Jesus did not save us because we were so good or because we were so worthy. He saved us because He loves humanity. He doesn't want to see humanity separated from Him. You know, God created us 
for fellowship with Him. And if we're not walking in fellowship with the Lord, we're missing it. Because that's what He wants. You know what fellowship is, right? How many of you enjoy good fellowship? And that's what the Lord wants to have with us. He wants us to fellowship with Him and He with us. And yet so many times we treat Him like He's a stranger and so far away. It's, it reminds me of the, the hymn that was written some time back where the hymn writer says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear. It's the Son of God who discloses talking to me. And it goes on to say, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Listen to this line. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I feel badly that there are such so many Christians who have never tasted what that song means. They've never had that type of fellowship with the Lord. They don't know what it is to talk to God and, and sense God speaking back. Laugh all you want to and let the media get a hold of it. But God does speak to us. We can speak to Him and God will speak to us. And it's just, it's just uh, an amazing, amazing thing. Let's go, let's go to um, the seven last sayings of Christ on a cross. If you would, I'm going to go through the seven. I'm going to call out the number and I want somebody to volunteer to take that number and look that verse up and we're going to let you read it as we work our way through this. Number one. If we wait this long, we're going to be here all night. Okay, Dennis. Number two, Miranda. Number three. Okay. Number four. Number five. Do 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 Number five. John nineteen twenty-eight. Do. Do, 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 do. Thank you, Leslie. And who else raised their hand just now? Okay, Eddie, you can take Psalm 69, verse 21, okay? Psalm 69, 21. Number six. Number six. Okay, Nelda. And number seven. The first one. Number seven. Luke 23, 46. Okay, and the very last one, if you've been waiting for one, here it is. Psalm 31, 5. Am I going to have to volunteer to read this one? Okay. <laughs> okay, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Well, let me back up. Before Jesus hung on the cross, he endured a lot of other things before he ever got to the cross, didn't he? Come on, help me out. We got 15 minutes, so we got to move. Let's, let's name all the things you can think about that happened to Jesus during that last week of his life that led up to him being crucified. The, the things that he would say, Father, forgive them. What types of things were happening to him? Okay, he was betrayed. What else? Okay, he was, after he was crucified, they fled. Or after he was arrested, they fled. He was mocked and scorned, made fun of, ridiculed. 
put on trial. Yeah, that would have been a humiliating type of a thing. And Peter denied him. Okay, that's a humiliation, isn't it? Now think about that. They slapped him and pulled out his beard. And they what else did they do? What did you say? They spat on him. That's about as humiliating an act as you can have happen to you, I think. They spit on him. And? Okay, let's keep, keep going. What else did they do? They hung him on the cross. They put nails in his hands and and his feet, and uh, we we hadn't even mentioned the scourging, the whipping, right? Ricky's going back there doing this. What's that about? Crown of thorns. They made him carry his own cross. Yeah, a brutal, brutal thing. All these things happening now. If you will, whoever it was had Luke twenty three thirty four. Read that for us, please. Now, we read that in English. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when we read it in English, it sounds like, well, he said that how many times? How many times does it sound like he said that? It sounds like once, but it wasn't once. Because in the Greek, it was in a tense that is repeated over and over and over. So the idea is that everything they did to him... He was saying through the whole process, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When they mocked him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When they spat upon him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When they drove nails through his hands, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a repetitive tense that's mentioned there. He kept saying that. That was his heart. He wasn't lashing out. He wasn't filled with hate. He was, that his prayer was, and it is a prayer, Father forgive them. His prayer was for the forgiveness and mercy upon those who were doing these things to him. There's a lesson there, isn't there? Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Luke twenty three forty three. read that please. Somebody give me the context of that one. Have you all ever met anybody or thought about somebody in these terms? Well, he is so mean. He is so wicked. He'll never be saved. He'll never turn around. He's going to die lost, shares the world. Have you ever thought anybody in that terms? I know that I can remember the first church that I served. It was in Van Buren, Missouri. And there was a couple of men in, in the town there that, that they just had no interest in church, no interest in God. They weren't interested in anybody who was a church goer, didn't want to be around them. And, and you know, you just kind of, in your mind, you just kind of, you, you don't say it, you don't repeat it, but in your mind, you just say, man, they're going to dial off, serves the world. That, that attitude. Well, the first church, after I'd left, I'd been gone for a few years, and and um, you all forgive me, but I've gone back every few years since since I left that church to go fishing with some of the men there. 
And you know what I found out when I went back? Some of these guys I thought were so mean and wicked who were in town there that had no interest in church. Now they were tending that church and saved. And and these guys that I was fishing with who were in the church would tell me what great excited workers they've been and sit right on the front row and just couldn't wait to get to church. Um, nobody is ever so mean and wicked that they, they can't have a change of heart and turn to the Lord. Now, when the reason I mention that is because these, how many thieves were there that were crucified with the Lord? How many of them had a, had a bad attitude towards Jesus? Both of them. Both of them. Now, if you'll go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and compare the stories, you'll find out that there was a time when both of those men uh, were ridiculing and scorning and making fun of Jesus on the cross. They, they, were, they were scorning Him, and the Bible says, and they, and they both cast the same in their teeth. They both agreed together, and they said these things about Jesus. But somehow... As time went on over these few hours, one of them began to have his heart being changed. He began to see something in Jesus that he, his heart began to change. And finally, he, he told this other guy, why don't you lighten up? Told the other guy he needed to shut up, basically. And then the Bible says he eventually came around and said, Lord... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This guy who just a few minutes before, a few hours before, was perhaps cursing and scorning and laughing at Jesus and making fun of him and saying, well, if you were the son of God, why don't you take get us down and get yourself down too? And now he's saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And did Jesus look at him and say, you're crazy. You, you, you've been, you've been ridiculing me and mocking me. You think you got any chance? Forget it. Is that what he said? No, he said today you'll be with me. You'll be with me in paradise. And then, he also made a statement about uh, we're guilty, but he's innocent. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But I think we we need to understand. Listen, you may you may have. Um, a boss, you may have a co-worker, you may have a neighbor, you may have somebody else in your your sphere, your life, that you think there's no way they're going to change. I'm going to tell you, they can change. God can change them. God can melt their hearts. So we have to always be Christ-like in our dealings with them, have a good attitude in our dealings with them, pray for them, and, and ask. Listen, it, it occurred to me, does anybody remember when we gathered for prayer around the altar Sunday morning what the last prayer was we prayed for before church began? We prayed we prayed prayed for the service and prayed that that the Holy Ghost would show up and convict hearts of people and I and then I said wouldn't it be wonderful we'd see about a half a dozen people come to Christ this morning remember that? And then at the end of the service what did we see happen? We didn't see a half a dozen, but we saw half a half a dozen. I'll take that any Sunday, won't you? What I'm saying is that after, I didn't think about it at the time, but afterwards, I recognized an answered prayer there. 
And when we pray and when we believe and when we follow up with, with, with what we know to do, then the Lord, the Lord honors that. So here's one of these men here uh, who was told by the Lord it was going to be okay for him because he had trusted in Jesus. Um, John 19, verses 26 and 27. For this one, let me, let me give the context before we read it. Jesus is hanging on the cross, right? Sitting down there um, in front of him watching is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John, the apostle, or the disciple. Jesus looks down at Mary. He's on the cross dying. He knows he's dying. He looks down at, at Mary and he says, Behold your son, looking over at John. And then he looks at John and says, now, behold your mother. What's he saying? Exactly. He's saying to John, John, I want you to take care of my mother. And mom, John's going to be like a son to you now as I'm gone. He's, he's thinking about his mother, providing for his mother, taking care of his mother. So if you would read that, John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Amen. Number four. Later, Jesus was hanging on the cross and and the sky got dark and the earthquake and all kinds of things began to happen. And you heard Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark fifteen thirty four. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, I don't know. Eloi, Eloi, Lama. So watch the night. Which is Good job. Really. Um, And we've already discussed that. Why did he say that? Number one, he felt that way. And number two, that was actually happening. Uh, It was a necessary step in in purchasing our salvation. That the price be paid, right? What What does it mean to redeem something? The price has got to be paid. Somebody had to pay the price. So we didn't have to. God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to do that for us. And that's what's happening there. In John 19, 28. Now, please. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Okay, and Psalm 69, verse 21, which is the Scripture that was being fulfilled. Okay. It's the you know, it's amazing when you look in the Old Testament at all the things that were said and were fulfilled in the birth of Christ, in the life of Christ, and in the death of Christ, and in the resurrection of Christ. And there's still a few more things to be fulfilled, right? When he comes back the second time. You can take it to the bank, it's gonna happen. Just like these things have happened.
Number six, it is finished. John 19, verse 30. What was finished? His life was finished. What else was finished? Prophecies. Everything that had been fulfilled relative to this period of his life was being fulfilled, had been fulfilled. And what else? The plan of salvation. It is finished or paid, if you will. It's done. It's completed. What Jesus had come to do. Number seven, Luke twenty three forty six. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Psalm thirty one five. And you know, there have been, I would venture to say millions of people since then who have gone to meet the Lord with those same words, with that same attitude. Um, Several years ago, uh, Francis Barnes' father was near death. Um, Some of you knew Henry. Uh, Most of you did not. He was um, not a church-going man. He was um, um, very elderly. Um, I had the privilege of getting acquainted with him, visiting with him ahead of time. He found out he had cancer, and I'd go and chat with him and develop a, a friendship with him, and, and then it was getting to be his time. He was bed fast now. He's about to die. And as often happens... He was lying in bed, and he was, um, you've heard it said people just won't let go. They just keep, he, he wouldn't let go. He just kept trying to hang on and, and live. And we sensed that. And so Francis and I, she was in the living room as I was, and he was in the bedroom. And Francis and I went into the bedroom where he was, and uh, she agreed I think she asked me, in fact, if, if we would could pray with him and tell him it was okay. It was okay for him to go. So we went into the bedroom, and um, I had prayed with Henry. He was ready to go. He, he knew the Lord. He'd made it right with the Lord and everything. And so I said, Henry, we're going to, um, we're going to pray in a moment. But first, I want to read the 23rd Psalm to you. And I want you to know that Rosa's going to be okay. And I want you to know that Francis is going to be okay. She's standing right here with me. And and whenever it's time for you to go, it's okay to go. You don't have to fight this. You're ready. And so I started reading Psalm 23. And when I got to uh, the part where it talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he took one breath, deep breath. And never took another one. And he just went to be with the Lord. I think in his heart, that's what he was doing right there. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's just, it's okay now. I'm ready. And just yield that to the Lord. That's the way a Christian can go. 
I could tell you many other stories of Christians that I've been with when they went to be with the Lord. It was so beautiful and so serene and so peaceful. Uh, my goodness, just a list is coming through my mind right now of people that I could tell you the same story. So the way that Jesus went to be with the Father, we can have the same peace when we go to be with the Father because we know what He's done for us. We know that we're ready. Amen? We don't have to fight it. We don't have to um, be panicked about the situation. We can just know we're going to see our Father because He loves us. He's ready for us. Anybody have any observations, questions, or comments before we pray? We have run a little bit over. Yeah. Yeah. And what about this one? Let's say you were the guy who spit in Jesus' face. Yep. And you heard him say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Now, you've got to remember, as this whole crowd is there in front of Jesus, and they release Barabbas, and Jesus goes to the cross, a lot of those people who were standing there saying, Give us Barabbas, crucify him. When, when, when uh, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and gave that invitation, many of those same people, because Jesus, um, Peter pointed his finger at them, and he said, and you've crucified him. You did it. And many of those same people turned to the Lord and were converted that day and were members in the early church. The gospel is just filled with hope. Fresh starts, new beginnings. That's what grace is all about, isn't it? We should never hold things over people's head, folks. Because when somebody's forgiven, they're forgiven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, I got an email, the way my phone's blowing up here, maybe I better check see if there's any more prayer requests. Um, Ron Bomar um, was not feeling well right before service, and Linda said she would like for us to pray for him, that they weren't going to be able to be here tonight. So if you would, let's remember Ron, and um, any others, if you want to call any names right now before we pray. Remember Tony. Tony's doing good, but we want him to do gooder. We want him to get. We want him to get strong and healed, and and feel better. Jessica's doing well. Good. And I'm having some issues with muscles and aching and and I don't know what's causing it. It's just 
Okay. All right. Teresa? Um, since September, on and off, I've been having problems with my right eye. And this week, I have not been able to see. And it is just, my head is killing me. Can't see with my glasses, can't see with them on off. And I just, I just want to see it. I just want to see better. Okay. Let's remember Teresa's eyes, head, whatever. Ladies first. Um, a, a young girl that I worked with I was succumbed to uh, addiction with some drugs, ended up losing her job, but realizes she needs the Lord, and she actually put herself into a rehab. But they have taken her kids away from her now. Mm-hmm. She's contemplating suicide. She's a 28-year-old young girl that's just lost right now. So okay. Okay, can you give us the first name? Let's let's pray for Leslie, please. Let's remember that. Dennis? And Tia. Tia needs prayer, too. She has some physical problems that needs healing. If you don't mind, stand with me and let's pray about these and ask the Lord to minister. Okay, all right, thank you. Let's remember these together, shall we? Lord, you are a wonderful, compassionate, loving Savior, healer, provider, deliverer. Oh, Lord, we magnify your name tonight. We lift high, Lord, who you are. We remind ourselves that you're a merciful God and a faithful God, and faith arises in our hearts. Lord, we lift these up to you tonight, these especially who have um, spiritual needs, Lord, this young lady, Leslie, who needs you. She needs a Savior. She needs uh, deliverance. We pray that you would minister to her. And, and any of these other names that have been called, Lord, if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, there is no more pressing issue than that tonight. Please give grace and help to these individuals and open their eyes and help them to turn to you. And then, Lord, for those who are suffering physically, whatever the needs may be, Lord, like Teresa with her eyes and, and others who have different ailments and those who've had surgeries and those who are facing surgeries and those who have other ailments, we just lift these to you. We ask that you would minister healing, your grace and strength and help. Touch these, we pray. Minister to these needs. Oh, Lord. And having said that, we now lift up our Sunday service to you. It's Easter. Lord, we want to come and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, the victory that there is in that event. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to come prepared. Lord, to come hungry, ready to exalt your name and praise you and worship you. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, we just pray that it would continue to build and build until just full-fledged revival breaks forth in this church. Lord, there will be freedom. There will be uh, uh, rejoicing. There will be answers to prayer. There will be homes put back together. There will be people, Lord, who have um, never felt anything like what they're going to see and experience as you begin to move in our midst and, and we give you the freedom to work in our lives and do what you desire to do. So, Lord, we're just asking that you would breathe new life into new life. 
and minister to us all, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being